Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, guys? This is Dave Duenas, and you're listening to Leave It In The Ring Network. Be sure you go to our YouTube, subscribe, hit the like button, and hit that notification bell so you're alerted when we bring up new content on the YouTube channel. Right now, you're about to tune in to Fish Sonatos with Evan Rukowski. Enjoy. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigandau quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, Fight Fans. It is Tuesday, July 29th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Murkowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing, on your screen, and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. All right, we are going to go through issues that the promoters are facing as they start up, and, and this aren't necessarily COVID issues, although some of these issues are affected by COVID. So it's basically their top issues for all the promoters at the networks, the promoters, as they come out of this fallow period of boxing and as they move into us starting to see real fights being scheduled and uh, and in, in Showtime's case, really strong, deep you know, roster of fights Happening, let's jump into the review section before we get to the deep dive. First, though, on Thursday, July 16th, we had Miguel Mariaga fighting Mark John Yap at Featherweight, but that one got called off. So Felix Verdejo main evented against Will Madeira, and Verdejo won by KO1. That show on ESPN does 326,000 viewers. It is the number 79 rated cable show of the day on Tuesday, July 21st. Also from Las Vegas on ESPN with the top rank. Last show of the top rank summer series. By far the best one, too. Oscar Valdez beats Jason Velez at junior lightweight by KO10. Also on the card, Edgar Berlanga continues his KO1 streak. He beats Eric Moon. Isaac Dogbay beats Chris Avalos by KO8. Valdez won and looked way less exciting than he normally does, but is showing some important defensive uh, development. I don't know if that's going to help him much again in the supposed fight that's supposed to be made against uh, Miguel Burchelt later this year. It probably will, but you know, you can also who knows with that fight. I mean, that that's that should be a really really good fight, assuming it gets made. 
Um, you know, Valdez, definitely he's less of a TV fighter that we all loved from a few years ago, but he is improving a lot on defense. I, you know, the issue is that his defense was really bad, so improving a lot may not be helpful as he steps up to the elite at 130, but I'm, I'm still always down to watch him fight. I love him. Um, Berlang is really exciting. I need to see him in with some higher level opponents who are actually going to give him rounds. No offense, Derek Moon. Like the first round KO thing is is fun to follow and it's awesome. But like he really just in terms of development as a boxer, I think everybody just needs to see him go a couple rounds. Um, and Dog Bay, like let's see it when he gets in against a, a, a better opponent. Um, but look, these were all good TV for the most part. It was the closest thing we actually saw to like actual real live boxing with like quality fights. Like I don't think these were quote unquote high level quality, but these were much better than than some of the stuff we've seen. It moved quickly on the pacing. I that was I was very happy with. It did an average of three hundred ninety nine thousand viewers. Was the fifty first rated cable show of the day, and actually peaked near four seventy. And I think as you start to see these guys fight better opponents, we're going to be hopefully back up to to where uh, ESPN was in terms of viewership pre-pandemic. Then on Friday, July 24th from Indio, California, with the Zone making their return to boxing, we had Virgil Ortiz winning by KO7 against Samuel Vargas at welterweight. The co-main of Hector Tanahara fighting Marcel Gesta was called off due to food poisoning. It's a shame because... The rest of the undercard was really low quality. It included that crazy seven-second knockout where Cineasta Estrada's opponent looked about as overmatched as I've ever seen. There were actually some good articles following up on on that um, where the matchmaker and Andy Foster took some blame. Um, look, Pretty impressive win for Ortiz. I'm very high on him as a prospect. If I was ranking them, I would put him and Devin Haney probably in their own tier as prospects. Um, they and I, and I think I still, even though Haney kind of won a belt, I, I think I still consider both of them prospects until they really fight a, a stiffer level of competition. Um, this was... Impressive. It wasn't impressive enough where you're like, this guy can fight anybody at welterweight. Like he's not ready for Spencer Crawford. Um, but obviously, look, they're on their own tier, and I don't think anybody else is really that close. Uh, I think, I think Porter and Pacquiao would still be favored against Ortiz right now. But I think after those four, I think Ortiz is ready for anyone, um, including Ugas and Thurman. Like he is ready for some of the better fighters out there. Like, he just, he's, he's like, he's so good. Um, and if he keeps improving at the rate he's improving, I do think within 12 months he is going to be ready for some of these guys. Uh, I don't know who he's actually going to fight. Like, more likely we're in the Ray Robinson kind of DeLorme territory sort of level. I think everybody would love to see Jesse Vargas. And if... If Golden Boy and Matrim can come together to make that fight, then great. But that's probably the only way it's going to get made unless Vargas's purse demands come down a bit. But I think everybody would love to see that. That's in a sort of quote-unquote in-house. I mean, obviously we're not going to see Mikey Garcia or Jose Ramirez um, unless somebody leaves Robert Garcia's gym. 
But like this guy, look, he's he's young, and I don't mind him. I don't mind seeing him continue to develop as a fighter um, over the next year or so. But I do, you know, with guys like that, you do want him properly seasoned to get into those bigger fights. But you also, even when they're this young, um, you don't mind seeing them take those fights. Um, so, no ratings for this show. It was, other than seeing a really good prospect fight, it was just sort of meh. But that's what, I think that's what a lot of these fights are going to be as we return. For the deep dive this episode, going back to major boxing mode, talk about the issues, like I said up top, that each promoter or content provider faces as they return to action. You know, I had a feeling there would be some major fight announcements. We saw Showtime unveil like a really robust schedule for the fall. ESPN and Top Rank were starting to see them leak out some of their upcoming fights that will be meaningful, uh, and some of the fights that were supposed to happen that have been rescheduled now, you know, sometimes multiple times at this point. We're seeing a little bit of Fox stuff leak leak out, and then, you know, obviously DAZN. They need to really just <laughs> figure out what's going on with Canelo. Um, and then I think the rest of the schedule will fall in, in, into place. But as of now, it would it would be tight to make that September 12th deadline. And, and it does not feel like they are close to making that fight yet. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see. And remember, this is the age of COVID-19. Who knows if all this stuff... That's planned will go will go along. I mean, Top Rank had so many issues on the on the summer series, and we're going to talk about why those issues might not be faced completely across the board. But look, I think everyone is is aware that they're going to have fights fall out. So let's let's <clears throat> let's start. Let's jump in um, with PBC because Showtime announced their schedule. And first, before we even get to the major issue that they face, like let's talk about Showtime's schedule. It's a really good schedule, I think in a non-COVID world, it would be pretty good. Like, it'd be a pretty good schedule. Not a great one, not a bad one, not even an average one, but it'd be pretty good. So in the COVID world, like, quite frankly, it's excellent. And I also think you got to point out it's uniquely built for COVID because it's really deep with fights where both fighters have a pathway to victory and the odds are relatively close. It's not dependent on one or two, like, plant-your-flag fights because we all know that every fight right now could go away because of COVID, and you don't want to be over-reliant on one or two fights. It's just, it's just really deep across the board with their undercards and main events. You know, a lot of other... People have said this when they've been writing or on Twitter or on podcasts or whatever, you know, shows, whatever it is. Everyone was saying Showtime was one foot out the door. I mean, even I question the long-term commitment to the sport there uh, just because of the business model. I've actually, though, kind of been on the other side of this. Like, I've kind of been one of the few people saying that Showtime had a real pathway to come back this year. Pre-COVID, I don't think anyone anticipated, I mean, obviously no one anticipated COVID, but I don't think, you know, it's just kind of broke really, really well in the boxing world for Showtime. Like, 
obviously one of the things that COVID has done that I've talked about a lot on this show, but just, you know, it's kind of been a theme of, of life in general is COVID has accelerated certain things that were already happening, but it's also like, it's created this weird world of winners and losers. I mean, even if you just look at something as simple as the restaurant industry, if you're a, a restaurant based on sort of the quote unquote old model of sitting down, um, not really doing takeout or anything like that, like you're going to struggle and you've, and you've probably closed or you've probably struggled mightily. But if you have been on the sort of fast, casual um, restaurant style, some of those places have done really, really well. Like they've actually improved their business. And this is one of those weird instances in the boxing world where Showtime was just in a unique position to not be hit as hard by something like COVID as anybody else. And mostly it just comes down to ad sales for this. I mean, the, you know, there aren't, like when you look at the schedule, there aren't a ton of fights that aren't pay-per-view fights. I mean, the paper, you know, Shitham has two pay-per-view fights that are, they're all, they're both good, they're good cards. Um, But they're, of the regular Showtime schedule, like there's nothing that stopped the presses, like drop whatever you're doing this is one of the more, most amazing fights out there, but, um, you know, it's, it's all pretty solid. And even when it gets to pay-per-view, it's like everyone's kind of acknowledged in boxing. You can't make the biggest pay-per-views just because it's so dependent on the gate. But a deep and strong schedule is exactly what you want in a COVID world, like a, just being super deep. And not having, you know, not being over-reliant on one-star fight or one-star fighter. Um, you know, and, and look, I mean, obviously, on a personal level, level for me, I, I, some of my former coworkers are at Showtime, so I do root for them uh, quite a bit. And, and I can empathize with the pay cable world because I worked in it for a long time. You know, but going back to this sort of overall question of, of, of this issue that PBC faces, you know, I think you have to ask the question, like, do you need to reassess your relationships with the networks you have? Like, and we haven't heard anything official from Fox, but we, you know, some of the stuff is starting to leak out, but it felt like in 2019, PBC was giving everything to Fox. And I understand why. I mean, it's not only are more people watching it, but you have this bigger engine in your car to promote pay-per-views. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing it better right away, because I think I've been over this a lot. There's things that Showtime is really strong at when it comes to pay-per-view, and then there's things that Fox is really strong at. But it, it it all sort of felt like it was shifting and that Fox did have the upper hand. I mean, Fox just came out straight out and said it. You know, in pre-COVID, especially after the Wilder-Ortiz fight, and I think the especially after when you looked at the, the cable company uh, and satellite, you know, satellite, maybe not so much, but because uh, that's just kind of going away, anyways. But when you looked at the cable company results 
for Wilder Fury too. I think I think you would have some small concerns. Like there's a few things that Fox was missing when it came to this, but this is stuff that like isn't big picture. Like, yeah, maybe you have a small bone to pick if you're PBC with the way Fox was doing certain things. Um, especially with how many of, of how much of your best stuff that you were sending them. But like this was small stuff that you, you probably wouldn't even bring up to Fox in general. But I think now it's like, oh my God, when you look at some of the bigger issues, you know, you really have to consider who should be the network that gets your best stuff. And and what you actually do if you're PVC. I mean, to, to, to stay on Fox for a second, it's like, I've said this numerous times, you aren't the most important sport to them, and you aren't even in the first or second tier of importance. And in normal times, that's okay. In fact, that's actually really good. Like, that's one of, literally one of the themes of this podcast is, like, explaining why that can be really good. Like, you can sort of ride the coattails of the bigger sports, get in front of, you know, larger exposure and, you know, hopefully increase awareness of your product. And that works to an extent. I mean, you still have a lot of work to do in how you do that, but in a crisis, in a crisis, not being a major sport is stressful at best. And at worst, it's going to have a really negative impact for you on several fronts. I mean, Fox already got out of the golf deal. I talked about it to you the last episode of the episode before they were paying $100 million a year. They had seven years left on the contract. They're literally going to eat $350 million of that. $50 million a year, they're going to eat it, and they're going to just get out of the contract, save another $50 million bucks a year by not broadcasting it. And why would they do that? It's because the NFL contract is coming up, and that is priority number one. And so if you can save $50 million bucks a year to go get the NFL, do it. You know, there's a good argument golf wasn't fitting the Fox brand. There's a good argument to that. But this podcast isn't about that. It's still (laughs) relatively unprecedented that they took that, that stance. You know, I've talked about why ESPN and Top Rank were doing the summer series and what a strategy might be for Fox in terms of how they looked at boxing. I mean, you know, part of the reason why Showtime announced their schedule is right now is because boxing is the top sport there. So they don't have to wait on anything. Fox waited to see what Major League Baseball was doing. And I think they're waiting to see how college football is doing and even maybe how the NFL is doing to get a sense of what the schedule will will look like for PBC. I mean, you know, these are important things in a time of crisis. Fox is just going to focus on its A-level stuff. That's the NFL, the World Series, and major college football. And it's not just the actual scheduling of the events, but it's the attention of the execs that work at Fox. You don't want to be an afterthought because that means any kind of deep thought put into making your programming better or promoting your product, it just won't happen. All that attention will be focused on the stuff that brings in the ad sales and that where the network's at the highest risk. Which brings up another point for Fox. There were big-time layoffs there. I've mentioned this before. Including the entire team that worked on shoulder programming for PBC, which is a huge part of, for PBC, why you like Fox. Like, there was just another round of job losses that happened on Friday, I think, 
which affected some of the people who worked on PVC. I mean, this one, Fox said, wasn't COVID-related, but it was due to some consolidation with regards to some of the smaller Fox Sports regional channels, which are now not part of Fox anymore. I, I mean, to be honest, I didn't really even pay much attention to their explanation as to why. But the bottom line is really good people who worked at Fox are no longer at Fox. You know, and I've said this before, too. Look, a lot of this stuff is stuff I've said before. But if you're PVC, you have to consider this and this big issue here. I personally had some qualms with the shoulder programming because I think there was some lack of institutional knowledge. But overall, you can't criticize the commitment and the output to shoulder programming. It, like the Fox spent a lot of money on it. They were very committed to it. They gave it a lot of time. Um, you know, and also to be fair, my critiques of this are pretty much true everywhere except basically Showtime in terms of the shoulder programming. And even Showtime really wasn't innovating much. But if you're PVC going back to this, like you got to look at all this and you got to think to yourself, should we reassess who we give our best product to? Like Fox may have some names fighting. Like you can kind of figure out who's fighting on Fox because of who isn't fighting on Showtime. But what we're initially hearing in terms of matchups, it's going to be mismatches. That's not what Showtime is doing. Showtime is taking a very different approach to this. And I think we might see some creative ways of programming it. So Fox and FS1, you know, cards may happen on the same day in the bubble or something like that. Like, I think it's really, that is something that I got to say. I'm, it, if Fox meets its commitment to PVC for the course of, of the year, its contractual commitment to them, that's a really strong statement by Fox. I mean, it's, and it's really important. Um, and that looked, there's still, that could still happen. Like, a, you know, a month ago, I never, I never thought that was going to happen. That could, that could happen though. Um, and that would be great for PBC if, if they could do that. I mean, that would be, I was definitely not expecting that from Fox, like I said, even a couple weeks ago. You know, we haven't seen the commitments to pay-per-views at Fox quite the same. I mean, it just got announced today, but we all kind of knew it, that the Spence Garcia fight was headed to Fox. You know, you got to question, I mean, if you're PBC, you got to question how... It, you know, here, here's the thing. It's like right now, Fox is in such a hole in terms of ad money that they're, they're not going to give you anything. There's no extra ad space that's going to you. They're not going to run the spot on any big time. You know, I mean, they may not even have college football. So it's not like they, they that's even an option to run it. And that's the thing. You know, NFL is probably better for promoting your actual pay-per-view, but NFL happens on Sunday, so you still got six days to go until your pay-per-view. I mean, college football, it happens that night. So it is important on college football. That's You may not even have that. But more importantly, it just goes back to all you're going to get is that when it comes back from commercial break, you'll get a five or ten second read. They can't give up any ad space right now. They're just in such a hole. So you have to, you do have to ask yourself this at PVC. Showtime, on the other hand, they haven't had these larger issues. Like their viewership was down significantly last year, and you could make a case that was mostly because 
there is so much boxing everywhere and that you yourself as the PBC didn't give Showtime much of your top product. But now you're sitting here and instead of having layoffs and facing an ad sales crisis like Fox is dealing with, Showtime doesn't have to sell ads and their subscriber numbers are pretty much the same that they were pre-pandemic. They've had basically no layoffs and their budget for boxing clearly wasn't that affected. Maybe it wasn't really affected at all, which is why we're seeing such a robust schedule from them. And like I said, instead of having to wait on other sports coming up with their schedules, they just laid it out. And by the way, like that might be a thing in 2021 too. <laughs> I mean, the, all the other major sports are still going to be possibly have their schedules affected by this in 2021. You know, so if you're PVC, the other thing you have to take into consideration is that even though it seemed like just a minute ago when you you actually got new deals at Showtime and Fox, you got to consider when your contract ends. I mean, your Showtime deal goes through, I think, like the end of 2021. You know, we're halfway done with that. Your Fox deal goes through the end of 22, but like maybe or maybe not, there's an out a year early in the contract. Unfortunately, because of COVID, like, you kind of need to start thinking about this because, you know, Fox made it pretty clear in 2019 they were the top network and in primary position. But as I've laid out here, you're not going to get, you're going to get a lot less from Fox during the rest of 2020. 2021 and beyond is going to be uncertain. I mean, if the schedules are still massively affected and if fans aren't at games in 2021, it, you know, it, it goes back to, to that ad sales. I mean, if ad sales aren't great, I mean, Fox is going to drop anything it has an opt-out on just to make sure it keeps the NFL. Anything where it's even sniffing, losing money or anything like that, it's just, it's, it's gone. They've got to make sure they get the NFL. That's like where your future's at stake. And I think the NFL contract, I believe Fox will be negotiating for that next year. I'm not sure if it's up in 2021 or 2022, but it's, it's up very soon. You know, and on the pay-per-view side, you do get a lot of value for the national marketing promotion. But like I've said before, Showtime actually works the cable system much better. And we don't know how that's going to go. I mean, it, it, sports could be the cornerstone of the cable system at this point. And, and that, you know, if, if Fox is facing this ad sales hole and they can't give you inventory... Showtime actually might work the cable system better. That might be better for you. Here's how it's going to play out, though, in terms of pay-per-view. Fox has the bigger fight this fall, which, and I'm not even counting heavyweights right now in terms of Spence Garcia, but Showtime has two chances to prove themselves. They have two upcoming opportunities. In the Charlo Brothers card, expectations are going to be really low for that one in particular. Um... I'm not going to get into analyzing pay-per-views right now because there's there's a ton of them. I mean, I, look, I, I don't know if I flat-out said it on this. Every fight that's going to be an important fight for the rest of this year and, and maybe for the first half of 2021 is going to be on pay-per-view. It's just That's just the only way to make the economics work right now, um, and that's because of COVID. But the, you know, if Showtime can outperform expectations on the Charlo Brothers card, which is a unique card and a unique sell, I, I, you know, if anyone can outperform expectations on that, it's going to be Showtime right now. They're just, 
they have the institutional knowledge for how to sell that kind of fight card. I still think you got to keep expectations in check on that one. Tank versus Leo, though, I mean, um, it, I would say higher expectations for that. But if they if they can really come through and hit, you know, I'd say above two fifty three hundred. I'd say yeah, I'd probably put that one. If you can do better than three hundred for that, like that's that would be really impressive for them. So the bottom line is, if you're PBC, you want both networks to continue with the contracts you have. You want them both to succeed. You know, and I do think this is possible. But the landscape has changed so much, and I mean, it you know. If this was, like, I think in most cases I understand why they tried to give Fox so much of the good, uh, you know, the higher level fighters in 2019. Um, it, it was sort of looked at as the best opportunity to grow the sport. And, I, you know, that I totally agree with that strategy. Um, but as we're seeing right now, we're in that unique scenario where, the damage that COVID has done to the ad market. I mean, Showtime is the safest place to be right now. It's the safest place to put your top level stuff. And this is going to be a tightrope walk for Heyman. So far, he's been pretty astute at doing these kind of tightrope walks where the PVC does come out in a good position. Um, you know, I think, again, we haven't seen what Fox is going to fully do yet. I was... A month ago, I was worried that it, that could have been it for Fox, uh, you know, with boxing. Like, they, they just – it. but in a weird way, it's like you're rooting for college football almost not to happen, and that could be boxing's saving grace at Fox, and hopefully then it gives it the opportunity to be in the spotlight a little bit more, have some some – good ratings and good showings with star fighters. And hopefully even if the fights aren't that competitive, like hopefully it really uh, gives it, it a boost the way they look at Fox. Because if you are PVC, you do want to walk that tightrope. You do want to have both networks succeed, obviously. I mean, I'm stating the obvious there. You know, and MLB at Fox too. I mean, like, yes, MLB restarted, but we just basically saw the entire Marlins organization test positive for COVID. So, it, like, who knows if, if, if that's going to work. And remember, one of the points, you know, Fox and ESPN are comparable for a lot of reasons. One of the ways they're not comparable is that Fox's business model almost totally relies on ad sales. They do get some affiliate fees, but it mostly relies on ad sales. ESPN isn't like that. ESPN gets crazy affiliate fees from the cable company. Um, so... You know, in a market based on ad sales, it's that's a rough, rough market to be in right now. Now, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Apparently, Fox has sold very – they've done very well on selling their baseball regular season package. But that was before uh, this most recent outbreak. So, look, these are weird times. We're rooting for – you know, if you're a boxing fan, it's like I said, you're almost like <laughs> – you're almost rooting for other sports to have either issues or not. Like you're rooting for some sports to succeed because you want the sort of anchor tenants in there. <laughs> like you don't want to not have the NFL because you need the NFL to tell people to watch boxing. Um, 
but you also want to keep the Saturday space clean if you're at Fox. So it's it's just a weird, it's just such a weird timing and weird position to be in. Um, but Showtime doesn't have any of those issues. So I think you do need to reassess this. You do need to think about it moving forward. And you do need to think about what your next contracts are going to look like at these places. If you're PVC. Okay, enough on that. Top rank, next on the list. I think they have two major challenges ahead of them. First is... How can they contextualize what happened in their summer series and then differentiate those broadcasts from what they do moving forward? And I mean, you have to give them massive props for being the first one to come back, for pulling off the bubble. And even though the ratings were sort of low in terms of total viewership, especially compared to what we're seeing in boxing, you know, clearly ESPN needed it. But I think the, the big question is like, what do you do now? And hopefully the answer involves ESPN not needing six to eight hours of programming each week from top rank. And hopefully it's going to be something more in the vein of what we saw in 2018, where there were actually really good fights on the linear network. Um, I don't know when ESPN is going to have to go back to like having some fights on the linear network and some fights exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Obviously, this goes back to some of the larger issues like that ESPN faces, and it's sort of like a cousin of the Fox question, which is like, what other sports will be on the network this fall, and then what's going on in 2021. You know, I think there's a great article recently that came out saying that ESPN, it was something like how tight they're, they're so tied into college football more than anyone else because they actually own some of the college football network. So it's not just ad sales and affiliate uh, fees that are so that like, I mean, they're just basically, they have billions. I mean, they have hundreds of millions purely in ad sales at, at, ABC and ESPN, they have bowl games that they own. I mean, it's just college football not happening puts such a hole in ESPN's schedule that, that, I mean, they're going to be just as reliant on top ranks. I don't know that there's going to be this situation where there's exclusive ESPN Plus cards or there's ESPN cards. um, They might need some of these bigger fights to happen on on ESPN and not on pay-per-view. That could work out really well if you're fans. I doubt that will ultimately be the case, but you know the hope is that you that that top rank uh, can keep its good fighters out there and and, and actually make good fights um, and move away from this scenario where there was just so much vamping and there were so many four and six round fights. I mean that's just that I just don't see that as something that would translate even to casual fans. Um, the second, and I actually think it's, this is actually the bigger challenge for top rank is going to be to determine if Nevada is really where they want to keep doing their bubble. And as we learn more about bubbles for each sport and what they look like and how they operate, what we're finding out is that bubbles for combat sports look way different than they do for team sports. Like team sports, the bubble might actually be the safest place to be. I mean, we've seen real success with the women's soccer league with the MLS and with the NBA so far. And I think it's like you, you know, a breakout is really, once you get in, a breakout is unlikely and it's easily traceable. And it, you know, the bubble sounds like a pretty boring existence in these places. I mean, (laughs) the NBA bubble, quite frankly, sounds like Basically, what I did when I was in high school and went to a wrestling camp for two or three weeks over the summer where it's like all you did is wrestle and rest. 
Yeah, you didn't do anything else. It's like really boring. And there's only so many books you can read or TV shows or movies you can watch. Um, combat sports bubbles are not like this. Like you get in and you're only in there for a couple days. You're not in there for two or three months. You're not in there for a couple weeks. You're in there for a couple days. Unless, of course, you work at Top Rank or ESPN um, or, or, for that matter, once Showtime and, and you know, PBC and, and DAZN and Golden Boy start their bubbles and I'm, I, I'm sure Matchroom's going to have one too. But, it, you know, you come in, you've got a short period of time to make weight, prepare for your fight, and then you fight, then you leave. So you may only spend 72 hours in a bubble. You may spend, like, you know, you may spend 100 hours in a bubble as tops as opposed to these other places where, you, you know, it's weeks, not months. And herein lies the issue for top rank or, quite frankly, for UFC or any, anybody else um, who would consider doing it in Nevada. Does a state like Nevada with rules that are really stringent around this affect your end product? Because based on the summer series for top rank, the answer to that is yes, it does affect it. And there were several fights that were postponed or moved altogether because of false positives or just weird test results. And this wasn't because Top Rank or ESPN, uh, you know, was following. I mean, they were following their own strict protocols, but this is Nevada Commission. And I mean, to their credit, they wanted to be leaders on this. And that while that sounds great and it's fine during this experimental summer series, the results were not good. Like, how confident do you really feel about doing a pay-per-view in this bubble given how many times you had to move fights around? And how many times, you know, positive COVID tests came back? I mean, this is tough. Like, this is a tough call. And I don't want to make it into a safe or not safe issue because I think the top rank bubble proved to be pretty safe. But I think the bigger issue is whether or not certain states will understand nuance and context. Like, you know, with what happened with Jamel Herring, like, should he have fought the second time? Like, I don't know exactly. Like, there wasn't enough information that got out that I had access to where I could medically say he should be fighting right now. But it sounded like it was a really tough break. I mean, the initial Pedrazo-Lespierre fight, like, let's be honest, they probably, I think they would even, they would say that they would do that one now. Like, Michaela Meyer has, you know, a good reason to be upset about not, um, being able to fight, you know, and what happens when there's these bigger fights? Like, are you going to hold these stringent rules? Are you gonna be able to look at nuance if something like that were to happen for a Lopacheco Lopez fight, or even Ramirez Postal, or some of the other you know bigger fights that clearly aren't pay per view fights, but they're still big fights. And remember. State athletic commissions get paid. They make their money based on ticket revenue and TV revenue. And although they're technically employed by the state, I mean, most of them are self-funded, they need events to happen. And Nevada is the only state who's not going to have a funding issue this year because they took their cut of the $17 million gate that happened for Wilder Fury 2. Remember, that actually happened in 2020, believe it or not. This year's been so fucked up and crazy. But yeah, that actually happened. So Nevada is funded, and I know that you don't, you hate to break it down to the basics like that, but they can afford to be stringent. The other states can't. And look, we're seeing Matchroom go to Oklahoma and Golden Boy go to California. 
and PBC doing shows in LA for Fox and then Connecticut in Mohegan Sun. It doesn't mean these other states are going to be reckless. Like no one wants a disaster on their hand. But the unspoken reality here is that if you have a high level fight, like you need to make sure that it happens. And some of that is making sure your bubble is working. And some of that is understanding how can we do this properly, you know, in our state, basically. And some of it is just going to be, I mean, look, if Lomachenko or Lopez test positive of fight week, it, that fight's getting moved. If the Charlo brothers test positive of fight week, those pay, that pay-per-view fight's not happening, you know? But what happens if, you know, when you get into these other issues of false positives or corner men or stuff like that, managers? That's where it gets like, you know, can we figure this out? Okay, moving on. Let's look at both DAZN providers, starting with Golden Boy, who already made their return. And I think like, both DAZN cases, both DAZN providers or, or promoters are interesting cases here. I mean, I think Golden Boy, it's like the biggest issue they face post-COVID is that uh, COVID really had nothing to do with their biggest issue, which is why are all their top fighters not happy with them? which is quite frankly a charitable description of the situation. And Golden Boy as a company does some things really, really well. Um, but, you know, apparently with guys become superstars, you know, who knows what happens? I mean, Canelo Alvarez only communicating with Golden Boy through his lawyer. We've learned that from some great reporting by Mike Coppinger. The Ryan Garcia situation has been widely reported as well. Coppinger's done stuff on it. He's on, you know, Mannix has done reporting on it. You know, a lot, a lot of other people have reported on it. Uh, you hate to be overly reductive or o- oversimplify the situation, but, like, no other promoter has these issues right now with their top stars. <laughs> or at least they're kept way quieter. And, I mean, it's not to say that other promoters haven't had historical issues here, but, you know, none of that seems to be the case right now. I mean, let's start with Canelo Alvarez because, you know, I think Ryan Garcia is a star right now and can be a much bigger star, but, like, he has yet to win a title or or fight an A-level opponent. I mean, Canelo Alvarez is the biggest star in boxing. Like, Fury Wilder 2 did really well in pay-per-view. Canelo, you know fighting any major opponent would likely do a lot better. And how long is it before Canelo is not going to be promoted by Golden Boy? I mean, I've gone into detail on this in the past, too. This fractured relationship between Canelo and Golden Boy hurts everyone. It hurts Canelo because it takes forever to get an opponent locked down. Because Golden Boy has failed to use Canelo to get a stable of 160 and 168 pounders, which any other promoter or content provider would have done. And I'm not just suggesting top rank and PVC when I say that. Like, Lou DiBella and Main Events both executed, like, the playbook on this in the past really well. When Lou had Sergio Martinez and Main Events had Kovalev, they leveraged their stars to sign almost every B or B-plus level opponent for him. And so, like... Canelo is hurt by this simply, like, 
because they don't have opponents for him. He's also hurt because he's communicating through his lawyer. It adds an added layer for every time you just communicate. Like, that's stupid. Like, it just, it should never have gone to that. But we're there. You know, we're there. Um, Golden Boy gets hurt by this because they can't control the situation in-house when they make these fights. And they lose leverage over picking the right opponents for Canelo because of this. So they get hurt. DAZN gets hurt because Golden Boy has no leverage. So in addition to losing time on promoting a big fight, DAZN has always had to pay out of their own pocket to get the right opponents for Canelo. It, it just it hurts everyone. Like if you're Canelo, why would you stay with Golden Boy under these circumstances? If you're DAZN, why would you want Canelo with Golden Boy under these circumstances? You're constantly getting screwed over. Like the, all of this causes much bigger problems. And I think, quite frankly, like it's mostly preventable if some communication and trust can get reestablished. You know, it's Ryan Garcia too. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this because these are fixable issues. But like, you know, this is stuff that COVID. You could make an argument that COVID affects it. I mean, I know DeZone is trying to. You know, do some version of lowballing Canelo because of COVID, but I mean, this is really this stuff is like this stuff just shouldn't happen. And the other thing, I think, I, th- I to defend Golden Boy a little bit on this, I will say their deal with DAZN is nowhere near as big as Top Rank or Matchroom or PBC. Um, so it does, it does really affect them because, um, you know, they, they, they can't, it, it does make it harder for them to, to sign, you know, like I should say that, like it, it does make it harder for them to sign people. Like, I mean, I guess my point is they should have been doing it back when they were with HBO and they didn't do it then. So it's not like. Now they're turning over a new leaf. But with their deal as small as it is outside of the Canelo contract, it does make it hard. Like it really does make it hard to go out and, and, and sign other fighters. And it's going to make it harder during COVID. I mean, they – like COVID is expensive and, you know, like their contract's not as big. There's just less margin of error for, for Golden Boy with this. Um, but why – I mean, like <laughs> – why this is the issue like this this was this is stuff they should have dealt with pre covid and they don't and i don't know why i mean unfortunately there, there's no business reason to give here like this is a relationship thing and does business have something to do with it yeah maybe but like i think a lot of this is more relationship stuff um last but not least matchroom they're doing their first card in mid august in oklahoma um you know, I think it should be noted they are coming back in a state with much less uh, strict commission than anyone else. But, uh, you know, it sounds like they're still going to do it pretty safely, at least from, from what I understand. Um, top issue I think they face is this This is, again, I, I, going back to the PVC of which network do you pick, It it's a version of that question because it's like, what are you doing with DAZN on a worldwide level? 
And I think, I think there's a few ways to think about this relationship. I think, you know, most people in the U.S. simply think of it as like, well, either DAZN will re-up Matchroom USA so they have a huge budget to play with for another two years or they won't. And I think that's the wrong way to think about it. Like, remember, DAZN did start, they started, I think, in the U.S. in October of 2018. They were reported to have an eight-year contract but with options that needed to be renewed after a two-year period. Um, and I think that question is important, but I think it's also just important to look at the worldwide, like what's happening in the UK and what's happening worldwide. Like Hauser actually just, Tom Hauser did a great piece on boxing at DAZN for boxing scene. And one of the things he mentioned is something I've tried to talk about on this podcast a lot, uh, recently at least, where I think it's pretty clear boxing just isn't the top sport at DAZN in terms of worldwide audience or company focus. And that sounds weird if you are a DAZN subscriber in the United States because you probably are only subscribing for boxing. But it's true. And I think Bundesliga is clearly going to be the focus moving forward. And, you know, quite frankly, as they take boxing worldwide there, I think boxing can still be really important. But if it doesn't deliver that great worldwide audience and the United States isn't the place to anchor it, you know, you have to ask yourself, like, is there even going to be a Matchroom USA in a year or two? A Matchroom overall is in really good shape because they have AJ and they have a lot of other talented fighters. And I certainly think, you know, even at Disney within the U.S., they're in much better shape than Golden Boy. But in terms of their presence, it's not so much... Like, it's not dependent on the whims of what their network is trying to do with boxing. Like, boxing could still be part of DAZN worldwide, except just the focus would be worldwide. I've talked about this before. And how does Matchroom fit into that? Especially with what could happen at the, you know, in the UK. I think there's, that market is ripe for DAZN to expand rapidly if it wants to. And look, this is like, you know, you just have to be clear about it. Matchroom USA and Matchroom are two different things. Like Matchroom, the biggest issue that Matchroom USA faces is dependent upon how DAZN does in terms of worldwide subscriptions and then the focus on doing fights in the U.S. The biggest issue that Matchroom faces is kind of like, how do you navigate the waters of the heavyweight division post-pandemic? Like, and that's probably like not just seeing Anthony Joshua beat Pulev, which you'd kind of imagine you'd do, but like what happens next? Like can AJ and Fury fight each other in 2021 in front of any kind of crowd? How do you figure out not losing all the belts in the process. Like, can you do that and maximize all the revenue streams without losing the UK audience? Or is the UK audience really, is that even going to be to zone subscriber possibilities? Can you figure out, can it, can it still be a pay-per-view fight in the United States or a to zone high level fight in the United States? Like, can you have it in the Middle East where you get a lucrative safety? Like, how do you keep Dillian White and Usyk happy? Like, it, it, you know, those are, how do you deal with those issues in sort of the larger umbrella of what's going on in the heavyweight division? I think that's the matchroom's biggest issue moving forward, like coming out of the pandemic, because 
you have all these things that you would have liked to have started working through and you're clearly just not there yet because of COVID basically. Uh, it's because it's delayed everything. But this is an, an important time, you know, for Matchroom USA, I think this is, or, or how Matchroom USA is going to transition into just either being a significant part of the company moving forward or, or just sort of transition back into Matchroom. It's like, how does your deal work? Like, what does DAZN care about in terms of boxing? Because I think it still will care about boxing, but the worldwide focus rather than the U.S. focus is just such an interesting and important concept in terms of what it means for your company. Um, so anyways, though, I don't know what I'm going to do next week. I think I'm, I'm kind of, I've talked a lot about networks and promoters in times of COVID. I'm just, I'm just kind of ready for fights to happen again. So um, I don't know what I'll talk about next week. I might talk about upcoming schedules. I'll probably do a pay-per-view episode. I, I, you know, I got into a little bit with some of Showtime stuff this episode. Um, you know, I might do another kind of Q and a, um, coming up relatively soon as some new questions come up once these schedules get announced. Let's go into the preview section. Saturday, August 1st, two cards of note earlier in the day. The DAZN broadcast will be from England where Sam Eggington uh, will fight Ted Cheeseman. Uh, Cheeseman's like a four to one favorite over Eggington. There's a couple other interesting UK fighters on the card, but no one in really tough. Later that day, from Mohegan Sun and on Showtime, who's making their post-COVID debut, Stephen Fulton Jr. fighting Angela Leo for a vacant WBO Junior featherweight title. Also on the card, Tremaine Williams will fight uh, Raisi Aline in a WBO Junior featherweight title eliminator. And then Joe George will fight Marcos Escudero at light heavyweight. Fulton is like a 3-1 to one favorite over Leo. Williams is between a 3 and a 4-1 to one favorite over Aline. And then Escudero and George are basically pick them. And I think these numbers highlight how well-matched the Showtime fights are. I mean, this is a that's a really strong card in terms of having three fights, each of which has, you know, the underdog who, who definitely has a pathway to victory. Let's just leave it at that. Friday, August 7th from the UK, we're getting another DAZN Hearn Backyard show. It's highlighted by Terry Harper fighting Tasha Jones. Harper's like a 12-to-1 favorite right now, and nothing really else that important. And then Saturday, August 8th, I, it's, this is not officially announced. It sounds like it is going to be the return of PBC on Fox, where Jamal James is going to fight Thomas DeLorme in the main event. Um, Lennox Allen fighting David Morrell. That seems to be also on the card, but we'll see. Uh, that hasn't been officially announced yet. There's no odds out on it yet. And I'm excited to see the PBC come back on both networks, but obviously, especially Showtime, where I think they do have a bunch of fights that I want to watch. All right. I will talk to you guys in two weeks and, and hopefully with a fun idea for a deep dive. But until then, enjoy the fights. Did you get what you was looking for? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.